Benvenu Cinema Woman. Je suis votre host David. Bonjour, nous brachons projecteur sur la belle vie de Paris. How about that? Not bad for a kid who took Spanish in high school. Hello and welcome to Cinema Wellman. I am your host, David, and today we're going to go due east from Cinema Wellman about 5,532 kilometers or 3,437 miles for those of you that still don't use the metric system. Shame on you. To visit our first international city spotlight city, Paris, France. This is our third City Spotlight episode after cinematically visiting San Francisco and New York City earlier this season. There is a difference between those two cities and Paris, cinema Wellman-wise, since I have never been to Paris. What I know about Paris is what I've seen in newsreels and films, documentaries included, over the years. When it comes to movies shot in Paris, I like my Paris in black and white. When I think of Paris, I see it in black and white. I doubt I'll ever get there in person, so movies will have to do. That's one of the best things about movies when you think of it. You can go anywhere in the world or beyond (laughs) from the comfort of your own home or the luxurious recliners at your local cinema. Before we begin our uh, top 10 rundown, I'd like to revisit the rules for our City Spotlight episodes. What we're looking for is the featured city being used in a way that it's more than just a setting, it's a character. The movie doesn't necessarily need to be great, although I'm recommending all 10 on today's list. Uh, They're here because they make the most out of the city in which they are set. The goal for our City Spotlight episodes is to recommend movies that will give you the feeling that you visited the city without actually visiting the city. Speaking of visiting a place without actually visiting it, uh, we're going to begin with two movies that are set but don't really take place in Paris per se. We'll begin with number 10 on our list. It's from 2011, and it's Hugo. When you think of Martin Scorsese films, the word magical probably doesn't enter your mind too often, but that's exactly what Hugo is. This family adventure tale uh, tells the story of an orphan living in the walls of a train station in 1931 Paris. Much of the Paris is CGI or enhanced in some way, but it's still Paris and this movie is still worth seeing. It's also about cinema. And when directors like Martin Scorsese make movies about cinema, you should watch them. Paris or not. Number nine on the list is from 2007. And it's, it's Ratatouille. <laughs> I mean, if the, if, if the Paris of Hugo may or may not exist, in reality, the Paris of Ratatouille definitely exists only in the world of animation. I'm not about to sit here and debate you, Jerry, over the merits of vermin hidden in chef's hats preparing food at gourmet restaurants, but this film is actually very good. And I hate rats. (laughs) I certainly don't want them assisting my chef in any way, but this animated Paris is quite sweet, as is this movie. Even with rat cooks. From... Uh, On our list from 2005, next is number eight, Cachet. It's directed by Michael Hanke, 
And the only guarantee you'll get when it comes to a Michael Haneke film is that you never know what to expect. I realize that that doesn't really make any sense, but if you've seen his films, you may understand what I'm trying to tell you. Haneke's quite a character. He made Funny Games in 1997 and then remade his own movie in 2007. And both of them are really hard to watch. They're not bad, I don't mean it that way, but they're hard to watch. I love that about him. And I must have been under the Haneke spell when I included this film because I remember it being a lot more Parisian. Uh, It is Parisian, but it's really more indoor Parisian. I will admit that I misremembered the amount of Paris that's in it, but it did pop up on more than a couple of Paris movie lists, so I wasn't totally wrong. This is an atmospheric thriller involving a couple being terrorized by a series of videotapes being left for them. This is not a horror film. The videotapes that are being left for them are surveillance tapes of their own home. And Cachet has no soundtrack or score, which adds to all the tension. It's also the only film I've ever seen that has the entirety of the opening credits typed on screen via typewriter And it fits on the frame. All of it. Out in typewriter. Title, stars, writers, producers, costumers, directors, everyone. All at once. And it fits in one, in single frame. I I thought that was great. Visually stunning. And and so is the film. Parts of Cachet, you're watching it and and there's nothing moving. And it's the outside of, you know, it's the exterior of an apartment house and and nothing's going on in there and at some points you're watching that same thing and all of a sudden it starts to fast forward it's really cool it's a it visually it's a really interesting film um even though it doesn't highlight paris as much as uh the rest of these so i cheated a little bit number seven is from 1967 it's les samurai directed by jean pierre melville uh here's imdb After professional hitman Jeff Costello is seen by witnesses, his efforts to provide himself an alibi drive him further into a corner. Costello is played by French matinee idol Elaine Delon, and he's dressed a lot like Inspector Gadget in this movie. Les Samurai inspired uh, countless filmmakers, including Martin Scorsese, Francis Ford Coppola, Jim Jarmusch, uh, John Woo, David Fincher, and the Coen brothers. The Paris we get here is the rainy Paris filled with jazz clubs and dimly lit seedy hotel poker games as Costello tries to figure out what to do next. The witness is an attractive nightclub singer, but Jeff has to kill her, right? He can't afford to let her walk around knowing he's a killer, can he? There is very little dialogue, which I always find interesting in a film. As a matter of fact, the first dialogue in this film isn't spoken until the 9 minute and 58 second mark. Uh, Jeff is a man of very few words. We do get a French siren, though. Always a treat. Director Melville didn't include many popular Parisian landmarks, but Jeff wouldn't be hanging around in those places anyway. Assassins usually don't take in the sights. Here's a line from later in the film. Why, Jeff? Because I was paid to. And there's your hired assassin. That's the way it works. 
Speaking of hired assassins, from 1973, number six on our list is The Day of the Jackal. Uh, to, far, to paraphrase an old principle of mine on a field trip to D.C., hey, kids, after lunch, we're going to take you by the place where de Gaulle got greased. <laughs> the Day of the Jackal is a political thriller about an assassination plot against General Charles de Gaulle, and the killer is codenamed Jackal. If you're into espionage, this one is for you. As far as Paris goes, there are some beautiful shots of the Arc de Triomphe. Did you know that's a rotary? Right there. I mean, I hate rotaries. I want no part of that. I will never drive there. There are also tons of outdoor location shots featuring street markets, cafes, and we get more French sirens. We also have berets, and everyone is smoking. I mean, everyone. I think I saw a French cat smoking. Le chat qui fume. The Day of the Jackal features both famous and off-the-beaten-path Paris in a winning combination. Number five on our list today is from 2001, and it's Amelie. And Amelie is just, there are all sorts of versions of Paris on display in this list of 10 films today. And the Paris in Amelie is absolutely adorable, just as its star is Audrey Tattoo. Her expressive eyes should have been given separate billing in this movie since her eyes help tell Emily's story without the use of words. Prominently featured are cafes, train stations, and crowded streets. Parts of this made me think that this is what a French film would look like if it was directed by Wes Anderson. Now that you should see. The end of this film is beautifully sweet, and it ends perfectly with Emily and her friend riding a Vespa through the streets of Paris, laughing, and, as my nephew Brian would say, cheesing. Or in France, would that be fromaging? Fromaging. Number four on the list is from 1981, and it's Diva. The first time I saw Diva was at the Nickelodeon Theater in Boston as a sophomore at BU. Thank you, Larry, for remembering that for me. I saw it for the second time last night, and it was pretty much as I remembered it. The music in this film is stunning in every form. It centers around an opera singer, so the opera is fantastic. The soundtrack is fantastic. The score is fantastic. And Paris was very well represented. From, IND, from IMDb, two tapes, two Parisian mob killers, one corrupt policeman, an opera fan, a teenage thief, and the coolest philosopher ever filmed all twist their way through an intricate and stylish thriller. That's a very good synopsis. There are great gangsters and thugs. The opera scenes are phenomenal. And you can't help but root for our misfit protagonist and his girlfriend in her transparent plastic raincoat. Next, at number three, is from 2006, and it's Paris Jatin, uh, directed by 18 different directors. This is the only one of the 10 films on this list that I hadn't seen before preparing for this episode. Whenever I'm compiling a list, I make one of my own, and then I start doing some research on the interwebs to make sure that I didn't miss anything. If I see a movie listed that I haven't seen, well, I see it. <laughs> That's our motto here at Cinema Wellman. Uh, and that was the case with Paris Jatem. It, it, it's part New York stories, if you've seen that. It's part Love Actually, if you've seen that. 
and it's all Paris. Paris in all sorts of moods. The two-hour runtime is divided into short films directed, as I mentioned, by uh, 18 different directors. And I'm pretty sure you've heard of some of them. Wes Craven, Alfonso Cuaron, uh, Alexander Payne, Gus Van Zandt, the Coen brothers were amongst the talented minds directing these segments that play out as a Paris travelogue. The opening montage features fireworks over the Eiffel Tower, for goodness sakes. I think that's cheating. That's cheating. They were trying to get on this list. Some of the segments are dramatic, some are funny, and more than one made me cry. No surprise. Oh, and one had mimes. <laughs> the cast is stellar. Steve Buscemi, Nick Nolte, Juliette Binoche, Natalie Portman, Willem Dafoe, Maggie Gyllenhaal, or is it Gyllenhaal? Sorry. Miranda Richardson, Emily Mortimer, Rufus Sewell, Gina Rollins, Ben Gazzara, many others who make this a well-crafted love letter to the City of Light. Seedy Paris is here, as is beautiful and romantic Paris. It's very well done without being overly romantic. You know how we feel about those movies. It's a lot like reading a collection of, of, of short stories. And in this film, they tie many of them together at the end. Here's a quote from the film. We're all in the dance. How true. Number two is from 1955, directed by Jules Dassin. It's Rafifi. Rafifi is a French slang term meaning trouble, violent conflict, a brutal show of force. We, we, we. And an awesome heist to boost. I've talked about Rafifi before, and I'm sure I'll talk about it again. I tend to do that with movies I love. Director Jules Dessin made this during the time of his Hollywood blacklist days. If not for the HUAC hearings, and we talked about that in previous episodes, this film could very well have been made in the United States. And if Rafifi was made in America, it would probably be regarded as one of the best film noir movies ever made. I'm sorry, in American history. It's still one of the best ever. The music is so noir, you'll be looking over your shoulder and craving a smoke. Dessine refused to film on sunny days, so we get cloudy, rainy, dark, dreary, and dismal Paris, which totally fits with the story. Wouldn't it be great working on that crew? Hey, it's sunny. Uh, you got the day off. Oh, we're in Paris. <laughs> great. There are CD card games, bars, cafes, and the street shots at dawn are absolutely wonderful. The heist is a jewel heist, and the gems that were used in the film were real. The store, the jewelry store, was mapping and web, and our crew breaks in from the apartment floor ceiling above. So the jewelry store is on the bottom, an apartment at the top, so they break it, they break in down through there. The heist sequence is over 28 minutes long. It features no music at all and no dialogue. It's virtually silent, all natural sound. And the silence is thrilling. And it fills it. It's so well done. And it's so suspenseful. It's one of my all-time favorite scenes in, in all the films that I've seen. The silence isn't only a great cinematic decision, it emphasizes the cohesiveness of the crew, since they can do what they're doing without speaking at all for the duration of the job. 
And oh, Caesar, you shouldn't have gone back for that ring. Caesar is played by director Dacine. He must have read the script, right? How does he go back for that ring? Oh, poor Caesar. And that leaves us with only one film left in our city spotlight, our first international city spotlight, Paris, France. And it's from 1960. And it's Breathless, directed by Jean-Luc Godard. As I mentioned in the open, my cinematic Paris is definitely in black and white. And number two, Rafifi is black and white. And number one, uh, Breathless at the top of this list should be no surprise. Another story involving Parisian gangsters. Over half of these films involve gangsters or criminals of some kind. Uh, Paris has that in them. Our gangster in this film, played by Jean-Paul Belmondo, tells us early in the film that he's an asshole, and he is very correct. Because of the, the lack of... Godard had no script for this, basically. Lack of script and the noise of the camera that he was using, Godard would yell the lines, many of which he had written that morning, to his actors, who would then recite them on camera. And then they would overdub it later in the studio. Godard also shot scenes on crowded Parisian streets without setting anything up. So at times, people can be seen reacting to Belmondo and co-star Jean, uh, Jane Seberg running down the streets. Like, you see people ex extras, you think they're extras, they're just people walking around going, it hey, was that jumble <laughs> Belmondo running down the street? Yes, yes, it was. When the film was complete, the studio told Godard to cut it down by cutting some scenes because it, they, they deemed it too long for distribution. And Godard didn't want to cut entire scenes, so he trimmed seconds off the beginnings and the endings of just about each scene to shorten the overall runtime. And this technique was the introduction of the jump cut technique. And Breathless was one of the films that began the French New Wave in cinema. So like the shark showing up late in Jaws, sometimes you back into genius when it comes to filmmaking. Well, that is a wrap. We hope you've enjoyed our very first International City Spotlight episode. And hopefully now you have a good idea of how to visit Paris from your couch or canapé. We hope you join us next week for a special Thursday episode. What's Thursday? Thursday's Thanksgiving. That's right. Thursday's Thanksgiving. So we're going to call it Cinema Wellman Gives Thanks, in which we'll do a quick rundown of all things we are thankful for here at Cinema Wellman. Until then, take care. Or as they would say in France, fiend.